Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me, and we are talking about Michigan's 42-25 win over Illinois. And there's there's a few few more levels to it than I thought there was going to be going into the game. I think I ended up predicting 49-14, so maybe not a totally different game than I expected, but certainly a, a quite the back-and-forth affair. Michigan goes out 28-0. Uh, they, they give up 25 straight points, and then they score 14 more points at, at the end to, to seal it out. But, Steve, we're going to jump in. We're going to do our two game balls. Four lasting takeaways, and then seven questions. We have a couple of user questions, uh, but I also added a few as well to make sure we just cover the bases that we want to cover for the show. So first, game balls. I always like to let you go first for this one. Uh, who's who's getting your game ball from this game? This is kind of a tough one for me. Um, I'm actually, I really like what Hassan Haskins is doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we had kind of. I, I I tried to go look, uh, go back and look. I thought I had written a piece about him being labeled as a sleeper by the staff uh, heading into fall camp. I couldn't find it, so maybe that was it. Actually, could have been written last year, although I don't believe it was. I'm like ninety percent sure I wrote it at some point this year. Uh, he, I mean, he looks like the second best back. He does on the he roster does. right now, and. Uh, that's you know, and and I think that's a I think that's good news if you're Michigan because he's got some size and some speed. He's not he's he's not undersized at all. He's large, and he kind of reminds me of some old school Michigan backs uh, a little bit in the way he's built and sort of the way he runs. You know, so I th- I think um, you know despite the fumble issues for Michigan yes uh, yesterday, I think it's encouraging to see a young. You know, Haskins a lot like Ronnie Bell in that he was that very, very unheralded recruit that Michigan kind of maybe rolled the dice on a little bit, but a guy who had a very high athletic ceiling. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just a matter of whether or not it would click. I think he's a guy that if it really is clicking and does click, that I I think there's, I really do think there's room for him to, to grow and become a, could potentially become a very good player for them. So um, I guess I'd say this outside of Charbonnet, I think Haskins is the the, the back on the roster who I think maybe had the highest ceiling. Uh, it's just a matter of, like, like I said, I think the there was a bigger variance, though, in whether or not he would reach it or, or where he would reach it. And it really looks like the light has come on for him. So I'm going to give it to him. First 100-yard game, first touchdown of his career. Uh, I thought he runs hard. He runs decisively. You know, he was effective inside the tackles and around the edge. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, I'm going to give it to Haskins. I think he, I think he deserves it. Yeah. Haskins was my, was my first choice, uh, you know, coming out of the St. Louis area, as you mentioned, not somebody people necessarily had high expectations for, but his athletic, um, his athletic toolbox, I think is, is really, really good. And I think you're starting to see it on display and, and, you know, I'm not trying to slight Charbonnet. I, I don't think Haskins is very far off of him. You mentioned yeah. him as the second best. I, you know, Charbonnet, I think he does a lot of things really well. I think there's some things Haskins does better. And so, uh, you know, they're both they're both kind of bigger bodied backs. I, I don't know uh, necessarily who's stronger, who's better at, at every single nuance. But I do think Michigan, and maybe this is something that we can bring up uh, later on in the show, but I do think Michigan 
feels a lot better about its running backs room than it did entering the game. And so, um, you know, and by the way, for those curious, Haskins doesn't have a fumble yet. He's <laughs> Michigan has had 12 different players fumble this year. Haskins is not one of them. So, yeah, no, he's a, he's a good MVP choice. Uh, I'll go on the defensive side. I it's hard to it's hard to say no to Jordan Glasgow who who made a lot of big plays, but I'm I'm gonna go with Josh Uche, uh, five tackles for loss, three sacks, and and I mentioned him as a player I was really keeping an eye on before this game because he has been uh, involved or near so many major key plays, and I think this was the game where he was able to, you know, it's just a step here or a lunge here, or, or reading the play just a moment sooner. And and I think you saw the, the fruits of that of that labor. I mean, every time I watch, I re-watch the game, because live I don't necessarily pick up on on everything as, as well, but when I re-watch, I, I always see Uche involved so much. And I think this is a game where, well, he, he's starting to, to make that ascent again. And he had that stretch in uh, October, maybe late September to mid-October last year, where he was just un, unblockable. He ended up leading the team in sacks, and I think, I think you saw a lot of that on Saturday. So if you're, if you're looking for some, some areas where Michigan's trending up heading into this two-week stretch against two top 10 teams, I think Uche is one of them. And, and, and you know Glasgow could get a third-game ball, I'm, I'm sure, blocking the punt, uh, really making a lot of plays all over the place. It you know, I don't know what, what the score looks like without him, but he certainly certainly was one of the key players in the game. So four lasting takeaways. Uh I'm gonna I'm gonna go first for this one just because I just wrote a story about it. It's Michigan's chronic fumbleitis. Uh to do the planned words there. It's 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 really becoming I mean, I think it's Michigan's biggest problem. I, I really do. And and they have nine fumbles lost this year. Only Nebraska has more in the entire country. Uh, that nine is triple what Michigan fumbled or lost on fumbles last year. And it means that they're fumbling on one out of every nine drives, which is just insane to fumble one out of every nine drives. And and it's I don't know that it's all correlated. Fumbles sometimes it's bad luck, but but clearly this is this is something that is really costing Michigan. You know, whether you want to tie it to coaching, tie it to the players, tie it to bad luck. It's it's hurting Michigan because Michigan scores about two point seven points per drive, so nine nine drives that they fumbled on. That's twenty five points that they would have in six games this season. Does this help keep them from losing to Wisconsin? No, but then you also have to think of the cyclical nature of things, where opponents have scored thirty six points off of Michigan's turnovers this year, and then suddenly it's you're looking at a sixty point swing. It, it hurts them so much. You know, I, I, I can imagine, uh, you know, we, we've talked about the play calling. We've talked about the, the drops, the missed blocks. We've talked about Shea Patterson. We're going to continue to talk about all of those things. But it's hard to, hard to continue to score and put teams away or mount a comeback or stay in a game that you're, you're, you know, you're at a disadvantage in. It's hard to do all that when you, when you fumble the ball. It is, you know, and unlike interceptions where you're actively taking a risk, fumbles are decently preventable. They're going to happen, but you saw Shea Patterson. I thought I think he's actually done a really nice job the last two weeks of when he's carrying the ball and someone's about to hit, he's making sure to protect the ball. 
And and the running backs, I'm sure they're doing it too, but the results aren't there. True Wilson and Zach Charbonnet each fumbled for the first time all season on Saturday. It's a it's a major major issue. Yeah, those, your twelve different players fumbling is that's the craziest stat maybe we've heard all year. Uh, that means it's a team a team wide issue. It's not something you can really take look at one unit, you know, and, and place a lot of blame on. So I don't know if it's just you know sometimes there's that the idea of fumble luck, you know, or fumble unluck. I have to assume that's some of it. I think a couple of the fumbles yesterday for Michigan were just a, a hat being put in the right spot by Illinois. I believe this, they showed a stat in the game yesterday that Illinois forced the second most fumbles in college football this year. Again, not hmm. not explaining away what you know Michigan's right, problem right. has been fumbling against everybody. Um, but you know, I, I yeah, it's I think I agree because you know, like you said, we talk about you know why is the offense struggling? Why are they not putting up the points that? they are capable of with the talent that they have. And it's, it's, you know, it gets talked a lot about that. They are fumbling the football, but it's never pointed to as a tangible reason why the offense isn't putting everything together, you know, and they've lost, well, what nine drives uh, because of fumbles and, and easily could have lost a few more there. So, you know, and that puts more stress on the defense a lot of times as well. So, you know, I think you could point to the, you know, their issues hanging on to the football as, as yeah, like you said, maybe the biggest issue that's plagued them. You know, are they beating Wisconsin if they don't fumble the football? No, I don't think so. But, you know, it, it I think I think the, the perception of how Michigan has played and how they've looked this year would be a lot different if if they did what fumbled half the amount that they have, I think. So Yeah. No, I mean if they fumbled four times, that's still more than all of last season. But it's it's still five more drives, you know. The the game against Army, do they put Army away? Does is that one more of a less of a hang up? Wisconsin, you know, I don't think it changes the result, especially after seeing what Wisconsin did to Michigan State. But at the same time, if Michigan goes in there and they're and it's seven seven, and and maybe Wisconsin's on their heels or the crowd gets quiet, or or in the second half, I believe there's a lost fumble too. And so when they're trying to mount this comeback which they eventually got a couple touchdowns, whether it means anything or not is up to you. But, yeah, it changes the game. Turnovers, you know, it's a huge it's a huge deal. Fumbling on one out of every nine drives when, when you've played some serious, serious cupcakes. Uh, I mean, look at, look at Saturday, right? And this is what, we're, this is what our takeaways are, is if they, in, during that fir- first half, when they could do whatever they wanted on offense, if Charbonnet doesn't fumble, are they up 42 nothing at halftime and does Illinois even show up for the second half? And then if you when Illinois did show up because it was only 28-7, you know, is is it when True Wilson fumbles, do does Michigan maybe put up a touchdown before Illinois gets into it and before everyone nationally decides to tune in real quick to see if Michigan's going to going to choke away the big lead? Again, probably the same record in my opinion, but, but the perception would look different and, and maybe Michigan would have a little bit more confidence and belief in its offense. Steve, what's your set? What's your uh, first lasting takeaway here? Um, I, I'm personally, I, you know, after the way this game kind of played out and just how, just from the big picture standpoint, I think one of my biggest takeaways is, is simply that I'm, I'm starting to recalibrate my expectations 
for this team this year. Uh, it's just there's it's just it's weird. things just don't seem to click, uh, you know, for them consistently enough. You know, we haven't seen, you know, Iowa, even at Iowa, they play such an amazing game defensively, but look so poor offensively, which, you know, I know Penn State struggled offensively as well against Iowa. That was on the road. But, you know, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, but I just, it's not enough stuff is clicking consistently enough for me to feel optimistic about, I mean, do I think that they're going to lose every big game left on their schedule? No, I, I don't. Especially when you get, you know, you have the three biggest ones. Well, you could argue Penn State's probably more important than Notre Dame, but uh, you know, you have Notre Dame, Michigan State, Ohio State all at home. Uh, but, you know, going into Happy Valley next week, and again, it's another situation you're playing a, a you know, a poor Illinois team. Let's just be honest here. I mean, Illinois not 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 a good team. Their backup quarterback just the road struggles. They they came out gangbusters to begin the game looks solid i think i think everyone thought okay they're finally even against a, a lesser opponent they're going to cruise on the road you know be able to maybe get mccaffrey milton in there get some mm-hmm. reps and, and all that you blink turn around you know you go to maybe run to the store or something you come back and all of a sudden it's 28 to 25 and there's just too many lapses for them for me to feel confident you know, especially next week in, in Happy Valley. And the, I think that what's disappointing about that more than anything from my standpoint is I think Penn State's very beatable. Mm-hmm. I think they're I think they're a good football team, but I don't think that they're some insurmountable level by any means, you know, that Michigan can't match up with them and beat them, you know, toe to toe. But I just didn't see enough from them from Michigan on Saturday to feel comfortable about them turning around their road woes i think i think the fact that they came out as flat as they did in the third quarter is that's the one of the it's the worst quarter maybe to come out flat in because that's when you go in the locker room you're supposed to make adjustments you know i also the other thing too i guess maybe it's sort of part of this takeaway i hate hate hated the fact that they did not try to score to end the first half I thought they squandered an absolute gem of an opportunity to work on their two-minute offense, put some more points on the board, step on the throat, get the football back after halftime. I mean, think about it. They had, they had plenty of time to begin with. They had all three timeouts. They're playing a lesser opponent, and they haven't had a good two-minute offense all season. Why on earth are you not trying to go down the field and put the ball in the end zone to end the half? You know, I just, I did, I just do not like that strategy, that decision at all. I, I just, heck, I mean, you could argue that the, the staff maybe needs to work on their clock, could could have used it to work on their clock management, for crying out loud, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so just, I haven't, there hasn't, there hasn't been enough stretches for me seeing them click on what you would say, what we would say all cylinders for me to think that they're going to contend for the Big Ten right now, you know? And, and I do think they're due for a good, for like a big, for a good performance, uh, in in a, in a situation where maybe they're not looked favorably upon, next week would be a, a situation like that. But until we see it, it's just hard to kind of feel it or predict it or believe that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, if if it took this Illinois game for you to recalibrate your expectations, I, I, that's fine. But I feel like that was no, it's evident. not. It's not. It's it's it. But it. The thing is, though, I've I've. I've put some belief in the fact that I think that I have 
felt the offense is going to get better and is going to get more consistent uh, throughout the season. Now, you know, Patterson, three touchdowns, no interceptions. I think he did fumble one on the the uh, exchange there. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, th- and they did run the ball really effectively. But it's it's just waiting for that. No lulls. You know, what it really kind of reminds me of is some of Beeline's teams at Michigan where, you know, they they would – the thing that always plagued them under beeline were these, they'd have these long stretches, you know, during games where they were, the offense would just go completely stagnant, you know, and, and I know that probably happens to a lot of teams, but I always felt mm-hmm. like it was maybe illuminated a little bit more under, under Michigan and beeline. I feel like they're in big games. A lot of times, you know, that they their offense would kind of go stagnant for extended periods of time. It's kind of the way I felt like, you know, what I feel like about this offense. But the, the problem is there's just too much talent for this to be happening this late in the season. Um, so not saying I re- that this game, like, dictated it, but it may have been sort of the tipping point for me a little bit because you would just expect to see – you would not expect to see a lull to the level of what that lull was for a team that is supposed to contend. Right. You know, or is, right. is, has looked to contend all year, I guess, is the best way for me to say it. Sure. My, my next takeaway, it's similar, so we'll just jump right into it. But I think physically Michigan did – they showed me a lot physically, actually. I, you know, I was curious to see how they, they came out in this game. I, I've mentioned before, I think the beginning of road games have been a trouble spot for, for Michigan in the past. I, you know, I've listed them before, Northwestern, Indiana, Purdue, Minnesota – Maryland even, it, you know, in some of these games where they're supposed to win, they just haven't come out with the same kind of fire. And so they actually came out with a lot of fire. I thought they, they proved a point, and, and they looked physically very good. They they looked exactly what I expected in that first half. I do agree with the with the late first half. They've done that all year. I don't, I don't understand, especially when they're getting the ball back. If you're trying to be an aggressive offense and trying to, you know, push forth that, that reputation – you got to be aggressive through and through. It's like if Don Brown decided to play prevent defense out of nowhere, uh, you know, when, when they have a chance to really close, close down on somebody. So no, I, I, I agree. So anyway, physically, I think they did a lot. I, I'm not as cool on Shea Patterson as others. We'll talk about that. I felt like the run game took a step forward. Offensive line. I felt like took a step forward and, and I felt like the defense when it, when it, in that first half, it looked exactly like it should. So physically, I, I think that there's there's something there. Mentally, I have a lot of questions. And maybe not questions. I have a, I have a lot of doubt about this team's team's mental makeup because football is. I think people assume that, especially in today's college football, where parity seems to be disappearing. I think people assume every single game needs to be like a fifty-nine to nothing beatdown. No, that's not necessarily. I mean, it doesn't have to be like that, and and especially in a, like a half full stadium in Illinois with twenty mile an hour winds, where the wind chills below forty. You know, you're playing a team that has really struggled in the Big Ten the past five years. I can see where there's going to be a natural lull because it's it's interesting because Illinois is actually 37th in our team talent composite. So they have they have some playmakers thanks to transfers, thanks to Lovey Smith's recruiting. 
So I, I assume that there was going to be a little bit of a punch back. For it to be 25 points, that's probably got to fall. That's all mental to me. Or maybe maybe the first seven is the nature of football. The next 18 points are mental. And I don't know if it's coaching. I don't know if it's senior leadership. I don't know if it's the mental makeup of the players. But But you bring up a good point. While they were in, I don't know what they were doing in halftime, but Illinois was planning its attack because <laughs> the defense came out. Uh, they they started they started defending the run a lot better. Their offense came out and started taking shots downfield. You know, Matt Robinson probably found his footing a little bit. I'm sure there were nerves in his first career start and sorted some of that out. But but still, to come out that flat, something's missing. And and against other teams, you know, against Penn State. If you're flat, you're you're done. Like it's not a forgiving team, and and as you mentioned, the road on the road, I think, is where it gets the most concerning because I I doubt Michigan will come out flat at any point against Notre Dame. What I assume will be a night game, charged atmosphere. Michigan State and Ohio State. I mean, unless they get a big lead, I don't think they're gonna gonna come out flat. And so, yeah, it, you know, this Penn State game is is the next one. It's it's the one that we're discussing. I have serious concerns about this team's mental makeup. Uh, and, and I didn't, again, I, I don't actually, you know, especially rewatching, I'm not quite as down on Michigan physically. But if you look at Penn State, you look at Ohio State, you look at Wisconsin, what do they do if they go to Illinois? Do you, I mean, we don't know, but do you not expect it to be like 55 to 3? Or something, something of that nature, some ridiculous score, and right. and Michigan, they they could have had that, and that's where it gets. That's where I think the concern is, is that it could have been exactly what they wanted, and instead, it it was once again maybe the fifth time in six games that you're kind of critiquing how Michigan played compared to what it could have played. Uh, Steve, what's your what's your fourth last or second lasting takeaway? Um. I don't really know. I mean, I think we've, I feel like we've kind of covered my biggest takeaways. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the other, I guess the, maybe the other one too is maybe the emergence of Avery Thomas, I think is, is something that, you know, is the type, it's the type of emergence that, that really could help Michigan in one of these big games. You know, I think he's put himself, you know, at a all conference type level the last three or four weeks. And to think of how far I know he was, I think he was a takeaway a few weeks ago. But mm-hmm. I, I'm continue to be impressed. I mean, there were a few plays there where he ran side by side, almost looked like he was running the route with the receiver. <laughs> uh, I, I think I think seeing him step up is one of the best case scenarios for Michigan. I know, especially you know, I think Vince Gray had a pretty rough game yesterday. So you know, seeing seeing uh, Ambry kind of take that that second corner spot and, and running away with it, I think is about a best case scenario for Michigan. Cause I, I think we've said before, I've always felt that I think Thomas may have the highest ceiling of any of the Detroit defensive backs that Michigan has recruited in the last 10 years or so. And I, I think he's starting to realize it cornerback a position where you can never have enough good, good players, you know, depending on the scheme, you know, how many good corners you got to have on the field at the same time. So, you know, I really like what I've seen out of him. Gives that I think with Hill and Thomas on each side, I think you could argue they have the got to be one of the two or three best in the conference as far as a one-two punch. And then by then, by that 
token, they would be in the conversation nationally as well. So, you know, props to Tom, to Thomas for really, this is about the time of the year he was expected to return mm, yeah. originally when, when the, the colitis stuff first came out and we first found out about it, you know, it was supposed to be maybe a couple weeks ago, but still, you know, he'd, he'd still be kind of getting into playing mode at this point a few weeks in. And, and instead we're talking about him as an all conference type candidate. So, you know, I think seeing him continue to excel and emerge as a as a potential star for them on the outside. You know, I, I know what I think. One of the questions. I don't know if we want to use that. To, we can just answer. Yeah, that just real go quick. ahead and jump oh. in. Jer Schmidt asked, with what you've seen so far, how likely is Ambry to leave early for the draft? I mean, it's a. I think it's a legitimate question at this point, just because he. I think he is very, very talented, and he's playing at a very, very high level. It'd be hard for me to sit here and predict that he would leave. There's still a lot of the season left to go. We'll see mm-hmm. how he matches up against some some better competition. You know, some teams that like to throw the ball a little bit more. But it's it's can't you can't say it's not out of the realm of possibility. You know, and so that's why you know Gray remains very important. I know they really like what they had DJ Turner. You know, down the road a little bit. Mm-hmm. I assume. Because this is the that's the thing. This is really Thomas's first real extended action as as being maybe the guy or one of the guys at cornerback. I suspect that Michigan may prefer that he. I mean, they prefer he come back either way. But I wonder if they may what their conversations with the NFL staffs would be about him if he considered leaving. You know, sort of like with Lavert Hill last year. So, uh, but it's it's got to be within the realm of possibility if he keeps playing like this. You know, because he's got good length. He's very, very fast. He's one of the fastest guys in the team, maybe the fastest guy in the team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he has all the physical ability. And I always thought he had the intangibles as well, much like, you know, guys like Jordan Lewis or whatever. Jordan Lewis, I think, literally just intercepted a pass uh, for the Cowboys as we're recording here. So, uh, you know, I think I think Ambry's on that level or can get to that level eventually. But, you know, I don't know. That's a hard one to answer right now. I think we wait a few weeks at least and see where he's at at that point. But again, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility by any means. No, not not impossible. As far as you know, to Jared's question, I I'd like to see him in a top one hundred in a mock draft before I make that prediction, because you know sometimes players leave early just because they're ready to go, and that's that's certainly um, something that they can do. But I don't know. There's a lot of good cornerbacks out there. And a lot of them have done it for multiple years and maybe fit a little bit more what a certain team is looking for. I'd have to do a little bit a little bit more research. I think I'm with you, Steve, though. I think it's possible. I mean, if he goes out there and, and shuts down a you know, shuts down a Penn State or a Notre Dame or an Ohio State, all teams with prolific future NFL receivers and maybe even future NFL quarterbacks, then yeah, he's gonna he's gonna start vaulting on the draft boards, but I, I think he's starting to look like a first, second, or third team all conference player. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Michigan would have loved to have had Lavert Hill on Saturday's game, but it wasn't, it wasn't the dire circumstance that you would think. And I think Thomas had a lot to do with that. Next question. Got six more here. Shane Majewski asked more concerning defenses, huge up and downs or Patterson's lack of ability to run the read option correctly. In, his, in Shane's opinion, he says both are going to cost them a win if it isn't corrected. So for me, I think we're on the same page with this one, Steve. For, it's it's Shea. 
Uh, you know, I can. I think the defense personally, it showed what it can do against Iowa. I I really think. I mean, you go top twenty-five matchup against Iowa, and then you have Penn State and Notre Dame top ten matchups. Illinois was stuck in between. It was always going to be overlooked. They go up twenty-eight nothing. You know, I, I I'd be curious how many of the fans were bored or started to to their mind wandered or they did something else or. I think uh, John U. Bacon joked that it was it was time for him to mow the lawn. You know, the players are kind of in, you know, they're obviously going to be a little bit more focused, but they're kind of in the same boat. I, I don't worry too much about the drifting. Wisconsin raised some concerns for Michigan's defense, but I feel like they answered the bell. And I think, as I mentioned, physically, I think Michigan showed what it can do. Mentally, not quite as much, but at the same time, Illinois started taking some shots. They got lucky on a couple of them. Michigan was missing LaVert Hill. I don't read too much into that. Shea Patterson, yeah, he isn't, you know, I, I wrote the column before the season began. Michigan's going to go as far as Shea Patterson is going to take them. And based on, granted, they do play a really tough schedule, but so far, Shea Patterson looks like he's taking them to eight or nine wins and not much more. Steve, your thoughts on the question? Yeah, I mean, when push comes to shove in a big game, are you going to you going to trust the Michigan defense or are you going to trust Patterson based on everything we've seen? I think, I think the answer to that question is relatively simple. Cause I agree. You look at what Michigan did against Iowa. You know, you actually look at the stats from Penn state, Iowa last night, you know, it was like Iowa had a lot more success against the Nittany Lions than they did uh, against Michigan, not to do the whole, you know, comparing teams playing each other. Yeah. Type transitive deal. property. But, yeah. But it was, a noticeable, I mean, a very, you know, Iowa threw for almost 300 yards. Penn State only sacked Stanley twice. Uh, you know, I think the biggest issue for the Hawkeye, they couldn't punch the ball in the end zone. I think that was their biggest issue. So, uh, you know, I, I think in a big game, and I know Michigan's late, you know, they've laid a couple eggs in big games defensively, but they've also had some epic performances defensively as well then the epic performances against good teams have heavily outweighed the the duds and so i think in a big game you're definitely going to you know at least again based on what we've seen so far you know you have to you have to go with history and you have so you have to go with the, the michigan defense at this point cuz you know when you talk specifically about the read option yeah i mean i thought that that play call on fourth down yesterday was a the it was a perfect play call the you one they did the not convert yeah, okay. you keep the ball. He walks in for a touchdown. I mean, it was that simple. It was really reminiscent of I don't remember if it was Army. The what you know the, the where the there was literally about twenty yards of open field on the outside. Yeah, Army Patterson was the game where he was handing the ball off, and I don't. Yeah. It's hard to tell if that was him right, or the, the coaches. Yeah. Well, but you know he's like I said I think we talked about this a little bit last week too is like he's run the ball enough now for us to know that he's definitely healthy it's not a health issue they're not trying to you know uh you know keep him fresh or, or keep, you know kind of handle him with kid gloves in these situations you know and so but I just there's been massive inconsistency still with the read issue and I just uh, the other thing that's got to be frustrating for the fans when you watch is I think Michigan and this is common sense, their effectiveness running the football out of the quarterback position on that read play can open up so many more things for them 
offensively. And I, it is just, it remains a complete mystery to me why it has not been a bigger staple of things at this point. I, I again, I have to think that we're going to see more of it against Penn State. I, I just, I don't know how you continue to just, you know, they were effective in pounding the ball inside. But again, you're still, you're playing Illinois. I think they said Illinois has given up. There was some crazy stat about how bad their rush defense has been in the in the Big Ten the last two seasons. I can't remember exactly what it was, but um, you know, I so I, it's got to be you got to have more faith in in Michigan's defense coming to play, and I suspect that they're definitely going to come to play next Saturday. Yeah, I think so. I mean, based on what Penn State and Iowa looked like, I, I granted I was riding home from Champaign, so I didn't watch, but I listened and read the box score. Yeah, I think the defense, you know, we'll see. It is mental, right? I mentioned the mental lapses. You could argue they were more on the – we can go back and forth. and Probably don't have the time for it. But the defense was not immune to the mental mistakes of, of yesterday's game. And and if they don't give up, say, that seven-and-a-half-minute drive that Illinois got, if they're able to get a stop somewhere in there, including on a, on a fourth down – it's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. You know, this game suddenly, is that, are people that up in arms about a 42 to 17 game? Does that, I mean, I feel like that the optics of that look a lot different. Um, and who knows, you know, maybe maybe the game looks different in, in many ways, but but still... Um, I, I think the defense will, will come to play. I, I do. I, I think Iowa answered just about all of my questions about Michigan's defense. I know Iowa's offense isn't great, but all every position group, I feel like they have what they're what they're looking for. I think they have the pieces in place. Patterson and and let's let's. I did have a Patterson question. Uh, this was something I was curious about. Um, how many? How many carries should Patterson get in a game, in, in, in our opinion? And so the reason I ask this is because I, I did a story on, on that game-clinching drive. And by the way, the players were extremely complimentary of, of Patterson for that drive. And, and I know Patterson, after the game, just being on the field in the locker or not outside the locker room, he had about as positive body language as, as I can recall from him. He's, pretty, he's a pretty mellow guy. Uh, at least with the with reporters and and he's definitely fiery. You know, he was after the Northwestern game, the Michigan State game. He's had he's had some nice drives where he was he looked like a leader, but this was I think I almost wonder if they discovered something in that in that game clinching drive where he carried the ball three times for twenty yards. He had a couple throws that that went across the field that were pretty long throws. One of them almost got picked off, but. Um, you know, I think I think in, in the one incompletion, I thought was a really, well, for, given the wind and and given the nature of the play, I thought it was a really solid throw. It was, I mean, it hit hit people's Jones's hands. I don't think it was the best spiral, but um, 
you know, as far as carries go, I, I think he should be, I'm with you. It sounds like you're on the same page as me. I think it should be around 10, 10 carries per game, just because they don't have a, it's not like they have a bell cow running back. They should give the ball to 20 plus times. And, and there have been times where it's open. I get that they want to protect him. And I get that he's not, he's not Johnny Menzel. I don't think, I, I think that reputation has, has gone away, but some people thought people call him a dual threat quarterback. I wouldn't call him dual threat, but he's got that middle middle infielder, I think is what some of our national analysts are using to describe that, that general athleticism and ability to, to find a hole here and there. So he's got that. I think he should carry the ball 10 times a game. And, and I, I, I do, I do expect to see it more. I don't think it's coincidence that when Michigan needed a touchdown, the only time they really quote unquote needed a touchdown Saturday, uh, they put the ball in Shea's hands. And Jim Harbaugh said after the game, you know, he, he thinks the ball should be in Shea Patterson's hands in that case. And, and he thinks that that's, that's the key to this offense's success. And I don't know if he's actually said that explicitly before. So maybe they did kind of feel, maybe they are walking away from this more comfortable with the ball in his hands. Certainly helps if you're playing a team like Illinois, but um, yeah, I think, I think you should carry the ball probably around 10 times a game. Steve, what do you think? I mean, the answer to me is simple. He needs to carry the ball enough times to just make the defense honest and respect it. Cause you know, it's gotten to the point now where linebackers do not have to even think for a half a second. They just attack the middle because the ball is continuously handed to the running back. Again, maybe, you know, all they, maybe this is all still a setup. I, again, I have I a just, long con. Yep. <laughs> well, I mean, they, again, they got down so quickly against Wisconsin that it, it wouldn't have, you know, it wouldn't have mattered necessarily. But again, you know, we, we did see it a couple times against Iowa, and it was really effective, but not that often, you know. And so it's really, it's, it is, it's all about forcing the defenders to, to actually have to make decisions, whether it's the defensive end crashing or it's the linebackers, you know, choosing to attack or, or have to keep the edge. Like, that's what the whole, the crux of this entire offense, I would have thought, was part, at least partially predicated on that idea. And so far this season, it, you know, opposing linebackers have not had to make any decisions. They've been able to just freely attack. And I think it's put the offensive line and the running backs in a bad spot. I know we've – I was pretty hard on the offensive line on, on, on the board, I think, over the week. I, I agree with you. I think they played a really – I think they played their best game of the season on Saturday. Uh, but, you know, and, and – but in big game, like I said, in big games, you have to force these defenders to think a little bit more, and that Michigan has not done that thus far. And when they can do it, whether Patterson's carrying it five times, you know, ten times, or, or fifteen, and again, I think you know you want to limit it to an extent. But if it's if if it's working, and the backers are still crashing, and the edge is there, you know, you have to take it. Because then eventually they, it's just that's you know simple push and pull at that point where the okay we have to respect this now, you know and not and, you know he's gonna he's got the ability to gain some yardage on us you know he's got 50 yards rushing blah 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 like we have to respect him on the edge now that opens things up in the middle it opens things up in the passing game so whatever keeps the defense honest you know and I do I I, th- I think the number that you said I think is probably somewhat in the ballpark right if as long as it's effective. You know, to, to the eight to ten times a game type deal, 
you know, but yeah, it just it's it's got to be something that's done frequently enough for the defense to have to respect the fact that it's a it's a possibility. Okay, one more question about Saturday's game, and then and then we can jump into some lightning round. Although this one's going to be kind of a lightning round. So, given the context of the game, what is your concern rating one to ten from the game? So, as I mentioned, I think physically they did exactly. They did their job. They showed me what I what I wanted to see, running the ball. Uh, you know, I think again, you can you can t- you can s- think whatever you want about about Patterson's game. I actually thought it was it was a passable game. I don't I don't come away with a worse opinion of Patterson than I entered with. Uh, you know, I was down there on the field during before the game, felt the wind, felt it after the game. My recorder sure felt it. Hard to transcribe some of those quotes, um, but. You know, and, and you could see the ball just would, would hang a little higher when it was against the wind or with the wind, and then it would just die a little bit sooner when it was against the wind. And so, um, yeah, I don't look into the 50% completion rate. There were some there were some duds, but I think there's always going to be duds. There were a couple drops as well. But as far as the game overall, what is your concern level? And while you come up with your case, I'll, I'll, I'd say mine's maybe a, a four. I think the mental... The mental lapse was too long and too dire. It should not. I mean, you know, it could have been Illinois provides a scare instead of, whoa, 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 we have to delete some of this game story, or or this suddenly Michigan has to can't play any of its backups and it and it needs a touchdown drive. I think I think that's a that's concerning. Yeah, I think. I think some of the offensive miscues and the fumbles that we mentioned. Those are concerning, but at the same time, I, I really don't think, I really do think it was a lookover game. I, I, I don't know about Nico Collins and Lavert Hill's injuries, but I think the fact that they weren't there suggests that Michigan was already taking a precautionary approach to the game, and so I, I'm, I'm at a four. Uh, I, I still think they, they showed basically what they needed to show. There was just a really crummy as you kind of mentioned almost like a basketball like uh lull in the in the third quarter steve what's what's your concern level from this game uh one to ten uh probably like a five or a six i think i think the fact that the we go back to the fumbling issues have kind of continued is something again that it's gotten to the point now where we have to see them not fumble the ball true to believe that they're not going to cough it up a couple times, and then once the ball hits the ground, you don't you don't you don't know who's going to get it or who's going to end up with it. So, I think that's a little bit concerning. And like I said, just you're not going to score on every drive. You're not going to you know march down the field every drive. But just I, I just feel like the the types of mistakes that Michigan is making, especially offensively, just appear to be similar and consistent. And and so I, I think there's some concern in that regard. Where yeah, you can't do that in Happy Valley. Uh, you can't do that against Notre Dame. You know, in the next two weeks, to, mm-hmm. if you want to win those football games. So, little more than four. Not too much more. I don't think it's a date. I I do agree. I mean, no doubt that the Nico Collins Laverts like that. That was yeah. That was totally a. We know we can win this game without these guys. Let's send it. Let's travel a couple guys maybe that haven't gotten to travel this year or some. You know, maybe try to like you said. I think the out 
outlook maybe was that they get a far enough ahead they'd let some young guys play you know and uh, to, to me there's no doubt that that was the case in that in that for that situation because neither guy mm-hmm. there's no way neither guy's missing Saturday's game so uh, barring you know barring another you know if there's another injury but with with what they're going through now which we've been told very very minor I think Michigan even publicly a Michigan spokesperson very, told us in the press box minor minor so yeah so <laughs> clear as day that you know not a not a something that fans should be worried about pertaining to next week so yeah i would say like a five or a six okay we are halfway through the season six games in so we'll do a couple related to that uh who is your offensive and defensive mvp so far this season kind of a tricky one i don't know if you have any right away we should maybe we should have kept track of the game balls but um who, who's who? Let's start with the offense. Who's your offensive MVP? I'm gonna go with Ronnie Bell. Mm-hmm. I think he's. I mean, I'm giving it to him because I think he's been their best offensive player so far this year. I mean, is there, I think it's almost hard to pick anybody else at this point, isn't it? Well, Nico Collins has has a case. I, I know sure. he wasn't there on on Saturday. I don't know. It sounds ludicrous given the given what we've seen. But I do think Shea Patterson has been a part of maybe some of Michigan's best moments on offense. And so he's been a part of some of the not-so-good moments, too. But, um, you know, you wonder. He had a had a nice drive to tie the game up against Army. He, um, that's a, It's a pretty meager list, so maybe he doesn't count. Yeah, it's probably, it's probably Ronnie Bell. Really, the offensive line has just... Because I would almost default to one of them but at the same time they haven't done a lot at least compared to expectations i think they've been a a solid offensive line but they were supposed to be an elite offensive line yeah yeah i'd I'd go with ronnie bell uh defensive mvp uh that one's a little bit tougher i I think i think quitty pay in the conversation there uh, Lavert Hill, even I think Lavert Hill's played some really good football. He played a great game against you know against Iowa in that win. Um, eh. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna stick with with Quiddy Pay. I think he was excellent against Iowa. I think he's been the, their best player the last three weeks. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with him. Yeah, it says a lot by the way that three of the like our first you know for our top two on offense and defense, three of them were missing from from Saturday's game. Yeah. Uh no, I I'd go with Pay. I think Aiden Hutchinson is is right in that in that mix though. I, I he doesn't necessarily have the numbers. I, you know, there've been games where he was he's a little bit quieter, but looking at the stats, three forced fumbles, two pass breakups, uh to go with 34 tackles, six tackles for loss. I mean, he's he's been a force and and I feel like he's done a few of those hits that that only show up as a tackle on the box score but do a lot to establish the defense's um, footing in a game. so But no, I'd go with Pay as well. Let's see, next one. Uh, position group halfway through the season. Who's number one? And then and then who's number 10? You know, we're looking at quarterback, running back, receivers, Boy. O-line, um, tight end, defensive line, linebacker, cornerback, safety, Special teams. 
is it a stretch to say that, I mean, I could start, I think, to, is it a stretch to say that number 10 would be special teams right now? So what's what's the qualm there, the kicking? Miss kicking. I know Hart, Hart has been good. I'm not going to ding him at all. I don't know what his numbers are compared to last year. Um, He's averaging 46 and a half yards per punt. And that was the last time we talked about it, it he was, what, second in the conference by like, a tenth of a yard, right? So he's mm. still got to be near the top. I, I'm gonna go. I, I that's a tough one. That's a tough one either on either side, though. I mean, what would you say for the top unit so far? Maybe the corners. I think I'm curious. I, I would almost say the linebackers. Obviously, the sure. one loss uh, really stings. I think there were some major miscues there, but at the same time, I just feel like they, you know, Cameron Grown has been a revelation. He was a, you know, does does Michigan win against Iowa or Army if it doesn't get what it has gotten this season from, um, you know, Cameron Grown, not Cameron Grown, Cameron Grown, Jordan Glasgow, even Josh Ross. Josh Ross had nine tackles against Army in the first half. Um, sure. So they might make the mix. But you're right, though. I mean, the, the cornerbacks and the safeties have have proved themselves. I wrote a story on Friday about the defensive line. I, I don't think they get the MVP because they had some real struggles earlier on in the season, but they might win the second half MVP uh, the way that they're trending. Yeah, I, th- I think I'd I think I'd go with maybe the safeties. I know Mattel's had a mistake, maybe two mistakes that were that were critical on Saturday, but I feel like they've been the ones that just always seem to be there, always seem to to make the right play uh, corners could be in the mix. They, they took some bad angles and missed assignments against Wisconsin. I, I probably everybody did, but I feel like, I feel like safeties have been game to game. The most consistent. Uh, did you decide on cornerbacks? I like interchangeable, but yeah, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say the cornerbacks. I think, I think like, as we talked to her about earlier, Hill and Thomas, one of the best one, two combos in the country right now at cornerback. Mm-hmm. So, number t- t- that's yeah. T- no, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say number 10. I'm not, I'm not there on spe- I think special teams is somewhere in the middle. Uh, maybe this is a story that we'll do. We, we can rank all of them, but it's, um, it's either running back or offensive line. It kind of depends on if you're grading on a curve here. And, and so, you know, if it's on a curve, then it's the offensive line because, they were expected to be so much better, and they just—I really don't think that they have met expectations yet. You could say the same about quarterbacks, actually, uh, but running back, the production just has not been there. It is just not a group. I think. Um, let's see what they what they average yards per carry. Because I mean, Charbonnet, there's there's a lot of promise about him, but he's averaging four point eight yards per carry. Uh, you know, True Wilson around four point eight. Christian Turner. 3.6 and I, I based on Saturday I don't know how much he's going to be getting the ball the rest of the season the fumbles I mean every single running back except Haskins has fumbled so another group maybe they can move up in the second half of the season if Haskins turns into into more and Charbonnet kind of looks like he did in in week one again but not a lot of big carries not a lot of big plays O-line hasn't helped, but I, I think they're just missing some holes sometimes too. And so so they'd be they'd be number 10 for me, which is probably, I think I would have had the number 10 entering the season. Um, so not necessarily 
the the most dire thing. But at the same time, I, th- I think for Michigan to succeed this season, I, I do think they need a lot more of a run game. I can't disagree. Again, I think, like I said, as we go back to the game balls, I do. I really, really, truly think that Haskins emerging is a is a great potential scenario mm-hmm. for Michigan alongside yeah. Charbonnet because his his he is athletically he is right there with Charbonnet as far as you know the upside and from an athletic standpoint. And it, like I, th- I think the other thing I've always talked about is you know you give a guy an opportunity and if his first his first taste you know is is uh, you know a high amount of success because we we've seen Haskins carry the ball. A few times this year, and I, again, I liked what I saw out of him in the other t- in the other games that he got some run. But this, you know, Saturday was really his first big opportunity for him to cash in on it, like he did. It can really, again, I think for a young guy who has the talent, uh, can really be a big confidence booster. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it'll be really interesting to see how he builds off of that. Um, yeah. Again, I suspect on Saturday because I'd be shocked if we didn't see him, you know, get the ball at least a few times against Penn state. You know, I think that, you know, in a game like this, you know, you see him out there as the number two back, which it looked pretty clear that the pecking order right now, looks like Charbonnet Haskins and Wilson that, you know, it's sort of an audition for a bigger opportunity going forward. So, yeah, I think, you know, I agree. You're always going to want to have, you, you're going to have to run the football. And, and that's what's, it's been interesting for Michigan though. I don't know if you agree here, I thought it was going to be a situation. And I think again, this is part of maybe the been the disappointment for me that they were in a position this year where they'd be able to actually pass to set up the run, but it hasn't really worked out like that for them so far. Mm-hmm. And and so, however they can develop a running game, you know, they're yeah, they're definitely going to need to. I mean, it's it's the more things change, the more they stay the same. A, a good, consistent running game will take you really really far in college football. So. So, yeah, I agree for sure. Okay, last question here. Michigan will not beat Penn State without blank. Could be a couple things if you want. But what is what is, Michigan will not beat? That wasn't that good of a question. If you have a different question you want to do, that's that's fine. I'm trying to come up with ones that, that maybe the listeners might ask. Um, but Michigan will not beat Penn State without blank. Um. I think without consistent offensive line play, hmm. I, I just I think it's going to be the different. Well, we talked about how important developing a running game is, but I think the other thing too, we've seen it more and more. I think one of the other things is that Patterson is he is not at his best. No quarterback is there at their best under pressure, but he really just I think he's a totally different player when the pocket is collapsing faster i think he Mm -hmm. rushes i think he rushes himself more than some of the elite quarterbacks in college football when the pocket collapses so it's it puts a little more pressure on michigan's offensive line to kind of keep him clean and and upright to make because he's he's good enough to pick you apart when he has the time and again a lot of quarterbacks are but i do think again he's a guy who can get hot when he does have time to throw the football you know and sit back there and pick defenses apart so I, i think michigan they have to get their best offensive line play of the year because Penn State's got a really good they do front four 27 uh, sacks this season yep only managed two against Iowa on Saturday which I was 
uh, kind of surprised, you know, but between Gross Matos, uh, Tony, and then uh, that D tackle they have, uh, what's the guy's name? 54. Looked like a vintage, like, Penn State player. Uh, you know, was, was I can't remember the guy's name. I didn't, I never, I didn't, I'd never heard of him. Like, couldn't remember him being recruited, but uh, was really good Windsor? against Iowa. Robert Windsor? Yeah, that, yeah. He was, okay. He, he had a good really, year last year. He had 10 yeah. tackles for loss a year ago. Okay. He was really good. He was really good uh, for them on Saturday. So, keeping those guys out of Patterson's face throughout the game, I think, will be. It's pair again. Protecting the quarterback is paramount in any game. I just think, you know, this is where Michigan's offensive line. We need to see them have the game that we think that they can have. Okay, mine. Can I just go with the other trench? <laughs> sure. I I think I think I'm still not sold on Penn State's run game, and maybe maybe that's something where I'll be. Someone will tweet at me and be like, "Ha ha! Remember when you said that?" And because they looked really good, but you know they don't have. I'm just, I'm just not so. I, I do think, based on what I read and heard, and it sounds like Noah Kane might have, might have discovered himself a little bit. He's a, he's a high-profile recruit, kind of of the Saquon. But he was supposed to be next, you know, Saquon Barkley and and Miles Sanders. And then he was supposed to be the next guy. Hadn't been necessarily all season. Started to last night, but it's. I think if you can, if you can stop the run. And and honestly, you know, one thing that Penn State, one advantage they had against Don Brown's defense that other teams didn't for a long time is obviously that mobile quarterback. I mean, remember when Michigan just destroyed Hackenberg, it seemed like, and they just made his life miserable. And then and then McSorley, when he was hurt last year, and, and in 2016 when he hadn't necessarily become his full mobile self. I mean, those are the years where they've, they've really succeeded against Penn State. Because I think I think Penn State, if they have a believable running threat, and I know Clifford can run, but I don't think he's quite as mobile, in my estimation, as McSorley was. And if you can stop the running backs and then and then get into the to the backfield, I don't think you're going to be as doomed as you were in 2017, um, when obviously Michigan's defense was on its heels basically from the get go, where they just weren't sure. You know, they had Saquon Barkley take snaps at quarter. You know, just a lot of a lot of decisions the defensive line had to make. And they can make their lives a little bit simpler this year. Um, if they can get in that backfield, I don't think Clifford is... He's he's a good runner. I just don't know if he's quite as effective of a runner. And I'm not totally sold on the running back. So that'd be, that'd be my choice. I can see it. I think... You know that yeah, Michigan has obliterated Penn State up front in three of the four games that these two teams have played under Harbaugh. I mean, obliterated. I mean, they whooped the eventual Big Ten champions in sixteen up front, and then last year again, yeah. I mean, no chance. You know, Penn State had no chance in that game last year. I think Michigan fans are used to seeing Michigan kind of dominate up front. Now, I agree with you. That's the thing, like. Penn State, I, I think they're very beatable. I think they're really good, and I, I don't know. I don't think I could pick. I don't think I could pick Michigan right now. But I absolutely one hundred percent could see Michigan. Michigan is more than capable of winning this game. It's just um, first year quarterback. He's looked solid, and but the, at the same time, you know, I think. Well, I think like I think like Michigan. I think Iowa's right now is by far Penn State's best win. 
right? I mean, yeah, I think so. Pitt, not a bad win because it's sort of a rivalry game, but otherwise, you know, they haven't played uh, really anybody. So, yeah, I think I the the trenches are always important in these types of games. Maybe more so for Michigan because you can travel like that. Trench play can travel. You know, it's not as affected maybe as much by the the crowd and the atmosphere as just the pressure of you know throwing the right pass or catching the ball that that type of stuff. So, you know, I can if Michigan brings it on both sides, you know, I think they have a much better chance than people are. You know, I think Michigan fans are kind of beaten down, a little downtrodden right now. I think with the line opened up at eight, I think it's still at eight. Yeah, the over unders dropped three points, but it's still Michigan's an eight point underdog, which I gotta believe outside of a couple Ohio State games, it's gotta be the biggest underdog that Michigan's been under Harbaugh, correct? Um, I could look it up. Maybe it's couple, it's up there though. Right, right. That, yeah, it's just my point. It's not. It would not. Don't have to look it up. But um, so yeah, so. And again, the D line. If they look anything like they did against Iowa, then yeah, Michigan's gonna have a. I think they're gonna have a, a really good shot because that it's an, it's Penn State's offense is an offense that can be slowed down. And again, the only time that they didn't slow Penn State down is when they had one of the best running backs in college football in the last twenty five years on their roster. So, um, and even then, the two years before that, they completely like shut him down. So, yeah. No, I, I, this is going to be an interesting game. I'm interested to see where the line goes. I actually kind of think it might come back a little bit towards Michigan. Um, not too far, though, just because I don't think I, not many people are going to put in on Michigan given their road woes. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so. Yeah, by the way, McSorley last year, it's hard to tell sack-adjusted. Clifford is averaging around 6.2 sack-adjusted yards per carry. is about 300 rushing yards, so... So a little bit more of a runner than than maybe I thought he was going to be. Um, I haven't been able to watch a ton of Penn State. I don't really take into account their their win over uh, Idaho at all. That's an FCS school, and then and then hard to tell what to make of Buffalo and Maryland and and Purdue. But well, you see, Maryland just got run out of the gym by a one and four Purdue. Yeah, that same one and four Purdue team yesterday. I don't put much into that win at all. Man, how how Purdue really? So how were Maryland and, and Syracuse ever ranked? It's just crazy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I still think I don't know who that the one jabroni was that tweeted that Maryland would finish ahead of Michigan in the Big Ten standings after they beat uh, after they beat Syracuse. But that right now might take the cake as the worst uh, take of the college football season so far because Maryland looks terrible. I mean, Maryland looks like a team that Michigan should rollover when yeah at the time it you thought man they all of a sudden is michigan gonna get any like rest mm. you know against anybody so right. yeah, i don't know big ten's weird you talk about nebraska too like what a dud that the huskers have been as well yeah i don't know we, i mean not that we want to sit here and talk about other the other schools in the big ten but that one seeing minnesota beat nebraska down was really kind of caught my eye i don't know how legit minnesota is because they haven't played anybody either but don't really see a lot of the criticism for Scott Frost. He's uh what eight and eleven right now. Yeah, I mean, and again, they got obliterated by Minnesota. Minnesota's a school. I don't care if Nebraska's going through transition or not. Like Nebraska should not be getting beat down that badly by Minnesota. So, but again, you don't really seem to. Two weeks ago, I think, I mean, I think it was our national posted that they could see Nebraska Ohio State being the future rivalry. 
in the Big Ten, but you don't really see any follow-up articles after they get walloped twice in three weeks by... You know, and they almost lost to Illinois, too. They were down almost that mm-hmm. entire game, so... Yeah, I don't know how we got on that subject, but I think the big time You took is, it there. Yeah, you took it there. I was just talking about Trace McSorley running and Sean Clifford running, but... <laughs> it's been... No, I like talking about the rest of the conference. That's, it's been an interesting year for the Big Ten, I think, so far. The, so... Um, yeah. Um, anyway, regarding Clifford, still still athletic, still mobile. I just don't think he's quite as mobile as McSorley, but, you know, maybe, maybe I'm... Maybe he's saving it just as just as maybe Michigan's saving it for Patterson. But regardless, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. Check out all of our stories. I, I still have a couple more coming uh, live from the scene in Champaign over at the MichiganInsider.com and Michigan.247sports.com. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. And we'll see you later on this week.